You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited today to talk to Kiran Avitabole about effective sales strategy for the European market. Kiran, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Asher. I really appreciate it. All right, Kieran, tell us about how you got to where you are. Um, so, Asher, I guess, you know, since we're talking about European culture and selling across some of those cultures, um, I was, I'm an Italian born. I come from a mixed family. My dad is Italian and my mother is Irish. Um, so grew up in Italy, but moved to Ireland quite a young age at 12. Ended up, in fact, getting married to a Russian woman, and uh, now myself and my family uh, live in Barcelona in Spain. So we've moved a lot, quite a lot in our life uh, across different locations and cultures from that perspective. Professionally, I started my career in consultancy. I always knew I wanted to end up in sales, Asher, but I thought that in the consultancy environment, I could work with a lot of clients uh, under a number of different roles and basically get the widest possible skill set uh, in the shortest time possible. Superb. And is there a favorite place that you loved uh, around in, in Europe where you may have grown up or, or visited? It's a really tough question. A lot of people ask me, you know, where, where, where do I see as home or where is your favorite place or where do you feel more comfortable? And the reality is that, uh, and it's a, it's a strange answer, I know, but, but everywhere and nowhere in the sense that, you know, when you've had uh, such an important part in your life across different places, they all bring something special and it's very hard to decide one or the other. I do have to admit that where we live at the moment, outside Barcelona City, by the sea, uh, it's, it's a fantastic place to live. And that's why we've decided to stay here for quite some time now. Sounds like you're living your retired life as a work life. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish. As I always say, I joke, I joke with my friends and I say that, you know, my family gets to enjoy the fact that we live by the beach. I don't get to enjoy it too much. But no, joking aside, Saturdays and Sundays, I always say it's like whenever you're not working, it's like you're on holidays. Terrific. All right. So tell us a little bit about your plan to go from consulting to sales. It almost sounds like it's pre-planned because, and I say this because a lot of people, you know, discover sales uh, or just, they just know that they're going to be in sales, right? Like from the beginning, they're like, I'm going to go be a professional salesperson. And, and they all start with like, like an experience that they had growing up or their parents were professional sales reps. And, and, uh, but there's very few people that, that, that say, I'm going to go, I'm going to do this first, do this second, and then go to sales, right? Like this sounds like a very calculated move. Yeah, it's funny because I, you referred to the fact, you know, something that happens in your life or somebody in your life. For me, it was definitely my dad. My dad is, is a salesperson, has been a salesperson for all his life, still is a salesperson today. Um, so he was definitely the driver for me. I, when I looked at him and his job, I always thought, you know, as a sales guy, you get to meet and speak to huge amount of people you get to travel 
and you get to help them and support them to solve their business challenges. So I thought, okay, that sounds like a pretty cool job. Uh, however, I always had this idea of consulting is offering you the, the quickest path to learning, right? You know, I always think it's very important, whatever we do in life, one of the ways in which we, uh, we have fun is to challenge ourselves and to learn. So I thought that consultancy was definitely the area where I could get the most out of that learning experience in the early years. The, the ironic thing is that my, my plan, because as you said, it was something that was thought through, said, okay, I'm going to do consultancy for five years. Uh, but after about three years, I got itchy feet and I decided to, okay, it's time to go out there and sell, sell something. And, and that's when I went from implementing core banking solutions in financial services uh, to actually had a very short experience of about two years uh, selling Irish beef to the Italians. So a very strange change in my career, but it was something that I really wanted to get proper field sales. You could say nearly close enough to door-to-door sales on the ground. Nothing shapes you more than just picking up what you can sell and going out there and just trying it out. You know, I'm a firm believer in that. Exactly. I remember my, my first day in, in this organization, and I came from one of the big uh, consultancy firm, Accenture, where we had a lot of processes, a lot of resources at our disposal. And basically, I was given, I wanted to say the yellow pages or a phone book or something, but really, they just said, there's the internet. You can just Google uh, companies in Italy that you think might want to buy our product. Go sell. So it was, a, it was definitely a rude awakening going from that large multinational organization to this small family-owned business in a, in a world that I knew absolutely nothing about. And basically, I needed to develop the Italian market for them. Superb. And, you know, th- there is a little bit I want you to dive into just the ability to take calculated risks, because in your case, it paid off. But what if it didn't pay off? Like, then what? Yeah, I guess to be totally honest, Asher, I never really thought that far, right? So um, I've always been a firm believer in taking calculated risks, especially when it comes to to career. I never thought that, you know, the obvious choice or the obvious straight line next steps in a career was was the way to go. So moving from that consultancy uh, to the agricultural business was definitely a risk. And then I then moved on into Salesforce, which is another uh, multinational organization, and then moved into the organization where I work now, which is where I've got absolutely the best possible learning and development experience from a professional perspective uh, in in my life. And at the time, I remember a lot of people, though, thinking that moving from a massive organization that was Salesforce to a company like Viva, which at the time was much smaller than what we are today, was not the right choice. Uh, but I really bought into the people. I bought into the product that the organization was uh, was offering on the market. Um, and as you said, I took that calculated risk or perceived calculated risk. Um, if it didn't work out, I guess you just have to go again, Asher, right? I think if you spend too much time worrying about what if it doesn't work out, I don't think you're ever going to make it in life. I always say I'd rather get to a stage and look back at the mistakes that I made and what I learned from those than look back and regret the chances I didn't take. I, I 100% align with you on it because a lot of people, they, they take a risk and then it doesn't work out. Then they go to analysis paralysis and then you're in this vicious cycle of like trying to pull yourself out of it. 
And uh, and and I I I believe with you. Like once a hustle doesn't work out, the best answer is to get back into hustling right <laughs> as soon as possible, right? Because you can just, you'll just figure it out. You know your your body conditions yourself conditions to the to the next next risk. Superb. So tell us a little bit about building a sales team in Europe. And I say that because there's two types of companies in the world these days. One that are global first. They have a product that's global. Like they just launch it. They put a web page. They they put. Uh, a subscription list, they put a way to check out uh, on, on your website and somehow things just explode and and now they have like global customers, right? And then there's other other types of companies that are very methodical. They're like, we're going to go into a primary market. We're going to win the primary market. And then we're going to go into these ancillary markets so that we have a quality offering and quality service. But in all of this stuff, they all think, think about maybe taking a cookie cutter mentality, but but the different regions of the world act differently and respond differently to different sales motions. And so tell us a little bit about building a sales team in Europe, please. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you're exactly right. I mean, you know, the first thing is to recognize that every region is, is different. If I, if I think about Europe as a continent, it's probably, well, actually, it is the most diverse when it comes to language, culture, religion, regulations, and even competition from that perspective. Uh, even something as simple as building the team, the actual hiring of those people uh, is very different because every single country in Europe has different labor laws. And there's a lot of restrictions depending on what country it is that you're trying to build that team first. Um, I think, you know, one thing that you need to remember with the language is that everybody that you hire needs to speak two languages at a professional level because we're going to assume that the corporate language is English. And then you need to speak that local language. And it's already something that is absolutely a given when you're hiring that these people uh, need to have both language uh, capabilities. Uh, but again, it's restricting your, your, your talent pool quite a lot. Um, and then the other thing around Europe is people tend to overlook the importance for a salesperson um, of the expertise and the relationships. Uh, it's very typical that the sales guy is expected to be an expert in whatever it is that they're trying to sell. But relationship is probably the one most single important thing. And that is why in Europe, a lot of the time, people who go who move across industry in a sales capacity have a much tougher job than people who may do it in the US, for example. I think it's a lot more common in, in the US. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Asher. Um, personal relationships in Europe matter more than the company that you present or sometimes even the products uh, that you're selling. And particularly in Southern Europe, you know, relationships really are everything. Most of the selling is actually done outside of the sales meeting. Um, and I've seen long sales cycles being disrupted really just because of a relationship, sometimes in our favor and sometimes uh, against us as well. And I've got a couple of stories or war stories around that as well, which I can share with you if you want. Yeah, give us a, give us, tell us a good story. This would be a good learning. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is something that we... Actually, it only happened a couple of years ago, uh, Asher. I was in Milan in Italy for a meeting. And as I told you, I'm, I'm Italian-born. I grew up in Italy. Um, in my home, my parents' home, we still speak Italian. So I consider myself very much uh, Italian. I went there with two other colleagues, both Italian, but the three of us were based out of Barcelona. So we had a fantastic meeting with this uh, potential customer. Uh, it was a two-hour workshop, which ended up being two and a half. And we had to tell them at two and a half, look, guys, we need to go because we're, we need to run to the airport. And it was the worst thing I said that day because 
whenever they heard that we were going to the airport, they started questioning, what do you mean airport? Where, where are you going next? Do you have another meeting? The reality was that we told them, no, we're flying home, right? We're going to Barcelona. And that completely changed the uh, attitude of that customer towards us going forward uh, in the sense that they were super engaged. They were super excited about what we were doing. And now all of a sudden uh, they started talking about, you know, the importance of being right beside them. Their current provider had offices in Milan. They were able to call on them uh, whenever they wanted to. And when we tried to explain to them that, you know, it's only an hour, an hour and a little bit flight and we can be here from one day to the other, it's not, an, it's not an issue. And if we lived in Rome, which is also in Italy, we would probably be a further away or the flight would take longer than coming from Barcelona. That didn't seem to matter. Um, and actually that was a big reason for them deciding not to go, move forward uh, with our solution. The fact that they thought or they didn't see that we had uh, a team on the ground in Italy, in Milan, in fact, to support them going forward. Super interesting. Uh, I would not think that that would be an issue given where we are in the day and age, even two years ago, right? Like like working remote or working and servicing remote has been going on for quite some time because SaaS has been around for 10 plus years now. Yeah, it's funny, especially in Southern Europe. I, I spoke to a couple of my peers. We were at an event, a virtual event uh, a couple of months ago, and we were talking about the importance of the location on your business card, right? So if, if, if some people are still using the business cards, but in this situation, I was an Italian, spoke Italian, came across as Italian. They didn't suspect in any way that I didn't live in Italy. But as soon as they realized that my address was not in Italy, it was in Spain, that became an issue. Interesting. So we talked about the location, the culture, and the language, right? And and there's two facets to the culture, right? There's the culture of the country or the the where you want to sell and then there's the culture of the company right yeah. and uh, and and in a lot of cases like CEOs are are encouraging the teams to adopt their culture and then now you're faced with you need to sell in a place with some at some part time maybe very receptive to that culture of the company or may not be receptive right how do you think about those two things I think it's actually quite important and it's important for two different reasons. One is, uh, you know, I've worked for a number of different uh, American HQ companies and, and customers or prospects do comment that, you know, you're, you're too American. You're just another American company trying to sell into Europe while they want you to really be a European company, even though they know that the, the HQ is, resides in the States. Um, so it's very important from an organizational perspective to be able to adopt and carry on the, the corporate or the organizational culture, because I think, you know, you cannot lose that. That's part of the secret sauce of any organization. And at the same time, you need to be able to adapt that to the local culture. So it's for me, it's not black or white. It's not that you have to prioritize uh, one or the other, uh, but that's the kind of skill for that leadership team to be able to carry on. The, the culture that has made that company successful to that point uh, and then adapt it to, and not only Europe, because as we're talking about, it's, it's, it's multicultural in, in Europe, right? So it needs to be different in every single country. Um, and actually, if, if I look internally at, at the organization that I work for now, Viva, um, every single office that we have across Europe is quite unique and is representative of the local culture. However, the values of the organization are still very visible in each one of those offices. Yeah, so I was at another company where we grew the business out of the U.S., but then we rushed into expanding globally fast. 
And then and then we said, well, if we just cookie cutter everything all around, it should be okay. And then because we had a very unique culture internally at the company, right? And uh, and and we had to we had to do a few things differently so that we could assimilate into the local cultures. But what the end result actually came out to be is when we tried to use our culture and took the best parts of that and took the best parts of the the local culture and merged them together, it gave it, the local teams a new angle to bring to the market about the company, not just the product, but about the company. And it it actually started to excite people. And so there is a win-win by taking the best of both worlds and then just shaping and communicating it in the local language. Yeah, we call that actually uh, focus pays off. Whenever we're talking about new markets, whether that may be geographical markets or new products that we want to launch on the market, it's it's always better to do less, but be thoughtful about it and, and, and apply critical thinking to what it is that you're doing. Uh, because you're more likely to have success. And it's like everything, right? You don't want to be just one of the players, right? You want to be one of the top players. You want to have success and you want to build a brand in each one of those markets. And that's why sometimes we say, you know, focus pays off. Focus on a smaller number of things and get those done properly. Superb. Okay. Anything else that you would like to share with us from your learning? I mean, I feel like the best learning is always you have to go do it yourself, but the second best learning is learn from other people. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, you know, some one of the things that I remember I was speaking to uh, a colleague of mine and we were we were talking about the topic that we're discussing today. And, you know, even something as simple as language that we take for granted and we assume that everybody speaks English, so we should be able to go and speak English. But in Europe alone, we speak 24 languages. Of, well, there are 24 official languages in Europe, but actually it's been researched that there's probably about 200 plus languages being spoken on the continent. So whether we talk about language, location and culture, you have to adapt Uh, and making the assumption that, you know, English is the international language. uh, You know, this is the way that works in my country or wherever I'm from or my personal culture. You cannot assume that everybody else will receive it in the same way. So one style of selling or one style of uh, building a, a successful team might work in one part of Europe and it will not work in a different part of Europe. So it's just to kind of take a moment, have a think about that and uh, really immerse yourself in those cultures to really think and adapt uh, your execution as a result. Well, Karen, I would pause it and say good food and great music is a universal language. <laughs> <laughs> that always works for sure. Superb. And, uh, and, and when it comes to like, building high-performing sales teams, right? Like in the U.S., we have a few models that work. You know, you've got consultative sales, you've got like challenger sales, you've got like all of those those sales methodologies that people use here. Are, are there like certain sales methodologies that work better in Europe versus the rest of the world? I guess, you know, we, we've all been through many of those methodologies. And I always say, you know, you try to take the best out of those methodologies as you can. And of course, that talks about certain structures or certain tools that you can uh, put in place. But really, if you think about it, at the core of any of that methodology, the most important thing is to gain the trust of that customer, right? That customer needs to want to like you and trust to buy from you, no matter what it is that, that, that you're selling. So we talk a lot about how do you gain trust and the, um, the skill of active listening, right? You know, a, sale, a, a real sales guy should not be doing all the talking, but should be asking all the, the right questions. And a lot of the time, it's something that we oversee, overlook, but no matter what market you're working in, 
no, no matter what culture uh, you're working across, if you can really develop key active listening and don't listen just to ask the next question, but really listen to care and understand what the person is telling you and then move on to your next question. For me, that's probably one of the key success in, in a sales environment. Superb. It's the golden rule of sales. All right. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing with us your journey and how to build a sales team in Europe and the three points for selling, which is location, culture, and language. I'm pretty sure our listeners would appreciate this. Um, if we wanted to invite two other people that you believe would be super passionate about go-to-market around the world, who do you think we should go after? So I'm thinking about two people, one sales and one marketing. And the first person is a friend of mine called Keith McCabe, who's currently at salesforce.com. He's actually the guy that referred me into Salesforce. And, and, and that's where I started my career in solution selling. He actually was living across the road from my then girlfriend, now wife. And we used to cycle and run together. And during those uh, runs and cycles, we realized that we worked uh, in very different industries, but were passionate about very similar things. Uh, so Long story short, he referred me into Salesforce, and that's where I started my journey in the cloud CRM software solution selling world. Superb. And the other guest? Uh, the other guest is actually a current uh, colleague of mine, Luisa, and uh, she's basically two in a box with me on the marketing side. So obviously, as you can imagine, with, with the diverse uh, culture and languages that we're trying to serve across Europe, we've got very targeted campaigns across the region. And Louisa and I work very closely on the messaging and making sure that her uh, sales team, or her sorry, apologies, her marketing team and my sales team are in lockstep in every single one of those campaigns. And the messaging is consistent both from our marketing perspective and our sales guys on the road. Ooh, this is a good one because I think we should invite her and talk to her about effective marketing strategies for Europe, the European market. And then we should have maybe both of you on a video session that talks about working together, but in Europe. That would be cool. Okay, uh, time for a little bit of fun. We always ask our guests if they were to condense this podcast into a hashtag, what would their hashtag be? So Karen, what would your hashtag be? What would my hashtag be? Um, I'm gonna steal one from, uh, from our CEO, Peter Gassner, and it's hashtag execution matters most. Uh, it's a real mantra at Viva, and really what execution matters most means is it it's talk, talks about what you do every single day consistently, that's what makes a difference. Uh, so, you know, you can innovate as much as you want from a product perspective, but really is what you do every single day, the attention that you pay and the passion that you put into what you do every single day, that's what's going to make a difference in the market. So hashtag execution matters most. Superb. Okay. Now, it happens quite a bit that when people listen to our podcast, they want to connect back with the host or with the guest. And so um, if people wanted to connect back with you, what would be the best way to connect with you? LinkedIn is probably the best place to, to find me. So it's Kiran Abitabile and Kiran is spelled C-I-A-R-A-N. Abitabile, my surname is A-V-I-T-A-B-I-L-E. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm the only Kieran Avitabile on LinkedIn, so it should be easy enough to find me. The company I work for at the moment is Viva. Terrific. Well, Kieran, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for educating us on effective sales strategies for the European market. Uh, good luck in your journey. Thank you very much, Asher. It was a pleasure. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.